Jerusalem to Antioch is about 300 miles. So I want you to think about that. This, this guy is going to be called to leave his Jerusalem church and go to Antioch. Antioch is the third largest city in the world at this time. The second is Alexandria, and the first is Rome. That's over here with the boot. This is Greece. This is Turkey. And from Antioch, someone's going to leave Antioch and go over here to fetch somebody. I'm going to tell you who that is. You may know who it is. And uh, somebody is in Tarsus, which is about 250,000. So what do you do when you don't have a cell phone and you go find somebody in a 250,000 city? Who do you talk to? How do you find out? He found out where he was, but it, it wasn't an overnight. I mean, it, it, that took a while to get from Jerusalem to Antioch by foot. And then from An even from Antioch to Tarsus, it looks short. If he took uh, a boat, it was half the distance. But I, uh, I looked this morning. If you, uh, if you went uh, by land, it would be about 140 miles, that little loop there. So that's quite a distance. So when you make a commitment, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Antioch. Well. How are you going to get there? You're going to walk. That's going to take you weeks. So there we go. Okay. So let me ask you a question. How are you changed? What changes you? When you know you need to change, what does? You know what I used to think? As a, as a high school student, I used to think that if I concentrated on my sin, that would change me wrong. Looking at yourself, looking at your sin, only goes deeper in sin. We become what we behold. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his likeness from glory to glory. One degree of glory to another. So we're being incrementally changed as we look at what's beautiful, particularly Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at people who are like Christ, that changes you too. I looked at John Piper this last week because she showed me a prayer that he prayed at the funeral of a family of five who were killed by a reckless truck driver who now is being charged with felony, five felony counts, and they were on their way to be missionaries in Japan, and the grief that that brought to Bethlehem Baptist, to the families, to anyone who heard about it, to us, was monumental. And when I read the prayer that he prayed, I said, I want to pray like that. I want to learn how to do what he did, because it was absolutely right on target. It didn't, it didn't mince words. It just it, it, it shared the grief that the grandparents, that the parents must feel. And so that changed me. It touched me deeply. 
I'm going to talk to you about a man that doesn't get talked about very much, except only in short comments. He may have had more impact on the Apostle Paul than any other single person. Who am I going to talk about? Barnabas. Do you know what his name is? That's not his name. That's his nickname. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. It's Joseph. We didn't know his name. There are 30 times that he's mentioned in the New Testament, and one of those times he's called Joseph, the first time we meet him. But then every other time we meet him, he was given his nickname, which is Barnabas, son of encouragement. Why? There's something about this man that he just builds people up. Do you know anybody who has a ministry of tearing down? doesn't feel good. But when we get around people who know how to build up, we like to be around them. You'd have liked to be around Barnabas because that was his nature. That was his character. That's what he did nonstop, all the time. He's building people up, whether he's number one or not. He was number one in this uh, team with Paul for a little while. But then you see Luke switching the names and instead of the team of Barnabas and Saul, it is Saul now called Paul and Barnabas. Sometimes Barnabas isn't even named. And Barnabas doesn't mind if he's second. So we're going to look at some different places. Barnabas? Oh, I'm Paul. Oh, you're right. That's right. So let's look at some scriptures so that we can get a picture of this man, Barnabas. And if I call him Barney, you understand we're talking about Barnabas. First, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. There are Bibles here. Please grab them. Please send them around. I want everybody to have one. You get one. Manuel, congratulations. Everybody gets one. So you can look it up here. There's a Bible over here if you need one. Acts 4. Okay. So we're reading about the New Testament community, and all believers were one, it says in verse 32. No one claimed any of his possessions were his own. Well, that's pretty remarkable. What would it be like to be in a community where no one says what he owned was his own? That would be pretty wonderful. So we're given an example. Joseph, chapter, or, or verse 36 of chapter 4, Joseph, a Levite, so he's from a priestly family, he's Jewish, remember that, because he becomes the missionary to the Gentiles. He has such an open heart, whom the apostles called or nicknamed Barnabas. Why did they nickname him? Because they kept seeing what he did with people. And it became his trademark. Names can be important trademarks for who we are. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Or Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Wow, that's a pretty important name. Whom the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
I've sometimes wondered about the scripture where your treasure is there your heart be also. I would have put that the other way around. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be. But Jesus said, where your treasure is. I'm asking you, where's your treasure? Where are you putting where are you putting your money? Where are you putting your treasure? Because your heart will follow that. Here is Barnabas. He is showing us a priority in his life. Toddlers and thieves say what's yours is mine. Capitalists say what's mine is mine. Followers of Jesus say what's mine is If you need it more than me, it belongs to you. That's what Barnabas said. So he is generous with his words, his mouth, and he's generous with his life, with his pocketbook. And his mouth follows his pocketbook. So he knows how to come in. Let me ask you a question. Are you good at affirming people? When was the last time you affirmed somebody who was, who was pushing carts and they were doing a good job? When was the last time you, you, you affirmed somebody uh, as, a, as a waitress? I have a friend who, who calls the manager. Every time he goes out to eat, call, I want to see the manager. And they wonder what, what's going to happen because he's going to put somebody down. Every time you call the manager, you've got a complaint. Not Tom. He's going to see, because I ate with him. I said, where's Tom? And his wife said, oh, he's doing his thing. What's his thing? He'll tell you. Well, he told me what his thing was. His thing was affirming. We witnessed to her. And now, I didn't know that he was, she was going to get affirmed. This guy said, I just want you to know what a good job Lindsay did. She waited on us. She treated us well. She gave us time. She went beyond. You're doing a good thing here. It, it was the Duluth uh, Olive Garden. You're doing a good thing here. Why don't we always do that? See, if you follow your pocketbook, you're going to be speaking generously to people. You're going to build them up. If it's not about you, then it can be about them. So follow your pocketbook. So here's Barnabas. He's a wonderful guy. Do we know he does that again? Well, as a matter of fact, when there's a famine throughout the world, it says, who sends money to Jerusalem? Barney and the team up at Antioch. Who was behind that? I suspect Barney was. Maybe Paul was. But that's the way Barnabas was. He wants to make a connection. You know why? Because there's going to be some competition that some people feel between these two places. And the Jerusalemites are going to be left in the dust. They were the lead church. But I think something happened. I think they got too concerned about the legalists. In fact, they were so concerned that in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I withstood Peter to his face. Because when the Gentiles came, were eating, they were having lunch here, and the circumcised guys came up, Peter got uncomfortable. And he pulled back. Who else pulled back? Chapter 2 of Galatians. Paul says, even Barnabas. So 
he's saying, my friend Barnabas, who is gospel-oriented, grace-centered, he got tricked, maybe by Peter, into thinking, hey, we've got to be careful what we do. No, you don't. Not before circumcision party. Not before them. And so there was a, there was a, uh, a freedom that we're called to that they were, they were breaking at that time. So Barnabas was generous. And one other point about his generosity. Who, who did not take support for the work they did? Peter did. All the apostles did. But there were two that did not, that chose not to take support. Paul. First Corinthians 9, 6 says, Or do Barnabas and I, are we the only ones who do not have that privilege? Barnabas chose, as generous as he was, chose not to take, he had the right to. But for some reason he said, you know, I'd rather not, I'd rather earn it myself and then give it away. He was a remarkable man. Turn to Acts chapter 9. I hope that, that when you say what I said after I studied this, I said, I want to be like Barnabas. I hope that's what you say. Because if you want to be like Barnabas, you'll end up being like Christ. Chapter 9, verse 27. So here we find, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Why did Barnabas do that? Why were they afraid of Saul? Yes, that's right. And so they did not believe in Saul. They didn't believe in his story. They had heard that he got converted, but they didn't believe it. Many didn't believe it. Who believed it? Barnabas. See, it's just like Barnabas. He, he believes in people. Do you have somebody that believes in you at times when you don't believe in yourself? Anybody have that? I've got people who have believed in me. They believed in me when I was at, at Luther Seminary and, and going crazy, going crazy in my mind. And I had people that believed in me, people my own age and older people. And they believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. Do you believe in people? I, I hope you believe in people. Because Jesus believes in people. So much so that he believed in the disciples before they had too many seminars, maybe one or two. I don't know if they had any. And he's sending them out to do this stuff. How much training did they have? Precious little. And he says, go do it. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely you have received, freely give. He believed in them. He believed in them so much that he left. That's really believing in them. And it's a funny passage, Acts chapter 1. It's funny because they're, he's, he, he just, He's really going. He's, he's, he's really going. Oh, my. He just disappeared behind the cloud. And this is how they were poised for a long time until God sent two angels. I think it was two who came down to them and said, why do you stand 
gazing into heaven. Angels had to come because they were so stunned. I mean, he really did it. He said he would, but he did it. Oh, no. But he believed in them to that extent that they, that he left. So here is Barnabas believing in Paul. And I want to be like Barnabas. I want to believe in people and they can't believe in themselves. Turn to Acts chapter 11. So, things are happening now up in Antioch, and it says in verse 21, the Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So, revival is happening in this city. Some believe it's a city of 500,000. Rome, about a million, not counting slaves. So, if you counted the slaves, it would probably be a million and a, maybe a million and a quarter. Antioch, about 500,000. <coughs> Alexandria, bigger than Antioch. So it's a big city, and now revival is beginning to happen. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So they thought, we need to send somebody who can connect with this largely Gentile congregation. Who did they send? A Jew, a Levite, but they, they knew that he could do it. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. <laughs> what did he do? He encouraged them. The word encouragement is the word that is used for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. That's the word, the, the son of paraclesis. He's the encouraging one. He's the ex exhorting one. He's the consoling one. He's the comforting one. It's got lots of words that can explain paraclesis. So, for a... Uh, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. I'll come back to that. And faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So they had revival. Now, really, revival. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. What was Saul doing? It may have been. We don't know what he was doing. He, he had a threat on his life twice, once when he was in Damascus, and then we got down to Jerusalem. And so the apostles said, we've got to get him out of here. So they sent him home. We don't know how long he was there. He may have been there for 14 years. He said he was, he was away 14 years. So he may have been gone a long time. I wonder if when he was away... He wondered, what's this all about? Now, we don't know what he wondered. Maybe he was getting revelation, and it was glorious, all glorious. But he may have also had times where he wondered. I would have if I got sent home after I was leading people to Christ, and now I'm a nobody. I was kind of a somebody, and now I'm a nobody. So here's Barnabas. He says, I need that guy. Here he is believing again in people. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. How would you do that, you know? How would you find somebody in a big city? And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. Now, they use the phrase Barnabas and Saul in chapter 11, in chapter 12, and to begin chapter 13. But once Paul begins to do his 
stuff. Then Luke switches and says, Paul and Barnabas, and sometimes not even Barnabas, Saul and the team. So he's willing to be number two as well. He's so encouraging that he'll, he'll encourage somebody past him. Some, when they should be encouraging people, find it a threat. Remember a king in the Old Testament who should have been encouraging somebody? And he found it threatening, and so he didn't want to encourage him. That could have been threatening to Barnabas. It wasn't. Go for it, Paul. What a wonderful man. One other place, chapter 13. So now the church in Antioch is getting powerful leaders. And they are slowly displacing the capital, the Christian capital, Jerusalem. And I think it's because the, the Jerusalemites were too concerned about the circumcision issue and the whole matter of the Jewishness of the faith. And Barnabas and Saul were champions of the freedom of the gospel. And so Antioch was just uh, displacing. So now the church in Antioch, and I say, why not the church in Jerusalem? Why didn't the Jerusalem church say, hey, we need to start sending people out? The Antioch church, while they were worshiping, chapter, verse 2, worshiping the Lord. Let's read it together, Number verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Hey, what kind of a church was it if you can send out Barnabas and Saul and just keep doing what you're doing? Man, that's a powerful church. They're not saying, hey, we need to keep you around. I mean, you're our mainstay. No, they weren't. They were raising up people. Barnabas was doing his stuff, believing in people and believing them to become what God had called them to do. So now they say, you, you guys go on a mission. So you go out of here. This is so wonderful what Barnabas is willing to do. So I want to give you four, four qualities of Barnabas. And then I want to pray that we'll be like Barnabas, which really is saying we'll be like Jesus. First of all, and they all start with G. Isn't that convenient? The first one is generous. He's generous with his words, and he's generous with his pocketbook. He doesn't hold either back. He will speak to you positively. He will encourage you. He will exhort you. He will believe for you uh, regardless. Number two, it says he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say good, we're saying better than average. If you say he's a good basketball player, you're saying he's better than average. He's not the best, but he's good. He's good on the floor. He's probably not the best guy on the floor, but he's good. Good to great. So there's good, but then there's great. Not in the Bible. Good is great. When God said, and behold, it was good, he wasn't saying it was better than average. The Bible says no one is good but God. That's not better than average. 
We'll give thanks unto the Lord for he is, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness is really good. He was a good man. How many of you know in the Bible where it says he was a good man? I didn't find any of them except Jesus. So there was something so about him. He wasn't filled with the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. So he is generous. He is good. Third, he is gospel-centered. I want to be gospel-centered. You brought it up in the worship, Bob where we are cross-focused, then we will be gospel-centered, then we will give people the benefit of the doubt, then we will assume the best, then we will believe God for people and believe in people as they're growing in God. Gospel means I'm forgiven. Gospel means Christ has done it. Gospel means it's already done, and so I don't add anything silly to it, like circumcision, like some external mark, or Jesus plus devotions, or Jesus plus discipline, or Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, period. That's the gospel. And that's what Barnabas was, except on that one time where Paul goes public and says even Barnabas was fooled. Barnabas is a gospel. How could he have been fooled? But he got fooled. So he was sent to the Gentiles. He raised up church. In Acts 15, when they came down, they debated it. Here's something very interesting. I don't take credit for this, but uh, somebody showed me this. In Acts chapter 15, if you look at the sequence of who, who's named first, who do you think is named first in the two times? Between the, on the team. Now it reverts back to Barnabas and Paul in Acts 15, two times. When they shared their testimony, just go there quickly. How are we doing on time? Where are we here? Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. Acts chapter 15. It's so interesting. Uh, verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Then they sent a letter out. Verse 25, so we all agreed to choose some men and send them out to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. You know why I think that is? Just my idea. He had such a reputation in the church at large for his ability to encourage people that, they did, that Paul is a truth teller. We need truth tellers. But we also need grace givers. And Barnabas was a grace giver. And so they put his name first, Luke did, in that order, just in chapter 15. Gospel-centered. Number four, he's grace-oriented. Where do we see this most clearly? I see it most clearly when now they've come back from Jerusalem and they've spent a year or so building up this church and then Paul says to Barnabas, what does he say? Let's go out again. 
let's go do round two. And Barnabas says, great, I'll grab Mark. And Paul says, you're not taking that deserter. And Barnabas says, Paul, I'm not leaving him. And Paul says, then we're not going together. And Barnabas says, okay with me. Here's my question. Who is right? You're right. Once Larry Christensen said to me, I was asking him a question, because I was speaking truth into a situation. I felt a little uncomfortable about it, but I was hammering away the truth. And he said to me, everyone needs truth and grace. And you have a two-edged sword, and you can't always do the same at one time. And I believe you're supposed to give him the truth. That was a wonderful word for me to hear because it set me free to do what I felt the Spirit telling me to do. But someone else then will have to speak grace into that situation because Jesus is full of grace and he speaks truth and grace. What rubs off on us, of, of his fullness, we have all received what? Grace upon grace. So that's what rubs off. Even from a truth teller, I'll, I'll, I'll feel that grace coming. So the team split. You know how I know that Barnabas did his job? Because Paul, in his dying days, 2 Timothy 4, 10 and 11, in his dying days, he's calling for, he says, Luke, get Mark and bring him to me because he is helpful for me in ministry. Barnabas did his work with Mark, and he restored him. He gave him strength. He became an apostle who scribes the gospel that bears his name. Not bad work, Barney. Way to go. Way to go. He restored him, and he's written a letter that's with us 2,000 years later. That's what Barnabas is like. Don't you want to be like Barnabas? I want to be like Barnabas. I want to be like Jesus. I want us to pray. I'll pray with you. If any of you want to pray a prayer, and then we'll just break up for a moment in small groups. Craig is with us today. I, I, uh, I spotted him. Nice to see you, Craig. The last time I was with Craig, I said, I want you to pray with me because I really want to see the miracles released. And he said, they're happening with us, Paul. We're seeing cancer stop cold. Uh, in the face of prayer. And uh, I wouldn't mind if you want to pray that for us, Craig, you know, if you're, if you're willing to do that, because I was, I was really encouraged uh, by that. And, uh, you know, we're a team. We're, we're a team together. Good to see you. Love, love what you're doing, except I didn't love that. I didn't, but I, so I'm going to pray. And then however you're led okay. to pray over this, we feel we have an apostolic mission here. Mm -hmm. we, we, just, we just sent a team to Tanzania, and they're back. And um, one of them's going back for six weeks. We feel that we have a call to change cities and nations, mm -hmm. and it's, it's ridiculous for a little, little group like this. Yeah, but we're no bigger than this bit either. So that's, that's tiny. yeah. So, so we really do feel an apostolic call mm -hmm. 
And uh, yeah, I want to walk into that. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you so worked in Barnabas that he is influencing our life now by, by way of the testimony that comes from the Holy Scriptures. And we want to be like that. We, we are sorry where we make it about us so much that we're looking for a compliment, we're looking for affirmation. In our weakness, we often find ourselves doing that. But we want to be on the other end of that, where we're, where we're pouring it out, both our gifts and our mouths. I bless the mouths of those who are here today, that something happens in them. And as they see people, where they go, they will say, this is an opportunity. And they will step into it, like many of them already are, like many of them will, to affirm, not to flatter. We're not talking about flattery. Flattery is really self-directed. Encouragement is truly unaddressing. That, that God, you will work that work in us. And it would be more like Barnabas, yes, but truly more like Jesus. I bless my friends. Mm. Hallelujah. Let me tell you a testimony and then I'm going to pray. So, um, this is very recent. Um, last fall, my um, dad's wife came to us. Uh, 15 years earlier, she had um, breast cancer. Had a, um, a, a mastectomy where they removed her breast down to her replacement. So the muscles, everything were taken. They did a reconstruction, and God moved, and it didn't recur again. But she was on an experimental medication, and that medication, 15 years later, she went in because she wasn't feeling well and um, uh, had a PET scan. And in that scan, she had 10 bones in her body with about 20 hot spots that were cancerous in her bones and in her bone marrow, which is like getting a death sentence. And um, when I heard about it, I called her, and her right arm had gotten to the point where it was immobile. And um, I just prayed with her on the phone. I love the telephone. It's God's invention for the saints. You know? <laughs> you know what? It's just our way of going long distance without being transported. So for us rookies, <laughs> you know, we don't understand transportation yet. We can, <laughs> we can just pick up a phone, right? And so I prayed with her over the phone. And um, the next day she was going to her brother and her sister to tell her the diagnosis, to tell them the diagnosis and the news. And while she was talking to her, her sister, she said, you know, I've gotten her, pa uh, pa her mom up to here. Oh. She's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. She's like, I can't believe this. I can lose my arm. And shortly after that, they left for Arizona, and they came back this spring, and she's had another PET scan. There's no cancer in her body. Oh, no, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anyway. And the thing I will tell you about healing is simply this. It's the most invasive gift of the entire Bible. And if you give yourself to it, it will be all-consuming. Because it will chase you down. It will find you out. It will seek you out. 
and your life will no longer be your own once and for all. So if you struggle with the works of the flesh, just give yourself to healing and there will be no one sick. <laughs> because people will call you day and night. And God will, in your own life, establish a witness of his word. A witness of the very thing you just preached, his goodness. His goodness and healing are the children's bread. That is, the child, that is our bread. That is what we nourish ourselves on. And so when God establishes a witness about your life, your life's no longer your own. Up until that point, you still have ownership. Did you get that? Because that was really good. I've never said it before. <laughs> Up until the point where God establishes a witness about your life, your life is still your own. Once he establishes the witness about your life, your life is no longer yours. Because of the demands not only that he will place, but others will place. I bet I get 250 emails a week. Come and pray, come and pray, come and pray, come and pray, come and pray. We have many, many, many people come to our ministry every Thursday night. Is this the place that God heals stage four cancer? We don't advertise. We're no bigger than you. In fact, we're probably smaller than you. We're like as big as your bricks. But God established a witness. And when God establishes a witness in your life, though you feel unqualified, not only does he establish a witness, but he sends out a witness. That there's healing in that house. There's bread in It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's bread in that house. And you know what? I want to tell you one thing. It only happens for the hungry. It does never. I've never seen it happen for the satisfied. But the hungry? They see everything different. I've had cancer. It was prophesied to me when I had cancer that it was nothing more than a blip on the radar screen. That was really good news to me. <laughs> you're supposed to panic and freak out when you're given the C word, right? I missed one day of work. The surgeon removed the tumor. I was hoping it was gone, but it wasn't. He removed the tumor. I've never had any, any anything. But ever since I've had it and I don't have it, I have authority over it. And let me tell you something. Whatever I have authority over, I'm, I'm, I'm free to give away to you. I like that. Yeah. In the same way I received Christ and I received my salvation, and the day I received it, I was free to give it to many. Healing is the same. Breakthrough is the same. So we're just going to, see this whole ministry thing here right now, it's in transition. Right? The minute I walked in that door, the Lord said to me, they're in transition. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you're hungry and you're running after the Lord, the rest of your life's going to be one big boring transition. Yeah. You'll know where you've been and you know where you want to go. You just have absolutely no idea how you're going to get there. <clears throat> Do you? Nope. <laughs> you don't know where the money's coming from. You don't know where the people are coming from. You don't know where the gifting's coming from. But let me tell you something. If you just stay faithful mm -hmm. to what God has put in your heart, it'll be the key to break open many, many, many things.
I should have flipped this on you. No, that's a, <laughs> so let me just say this. Um, there's a mandate on this ministry to go to the nations. And it's in the going to the nations that you're going to receive the wisdom and understanding of what it's going to take to do what you need to do back home. You're not going to go to the nations permanently, but you're going to go to the nations to receive the things that you need to receive. And when God, when, when you hear about a mission trip, you know, you actually have to have a red light to stay home. Because the Bible's already commanded you, go ye therefore into all the earth. I'm going to share one with you that uh, I told uh, hmm. Tim not to announce because we might get too many from Communitas and then, and then we'll be on overload. But uh, I'm doing a Holy Spirit conference in Bismarck on Saturday, October 1st. We're going to take a road trip, go there, do the Saturday thing, speak Sunday morning at a church, then come back in the afternoon and be back in the evening. So it'll be the whole weekend. So let me know if you're thinking about this and if God uh, moves on you to be a part of this. So let me just say this to you. When you're in transition, it's where you learn to be spirit-led. And it's where you learn to be spirit-fed. And you won't know what you're doing, but you'll really enjoy the outcome. <laughs> I've never stood in front of a cancer patient knowing the outcome but I'm always really, really excited to find out how many times we have to pray before they see their miracle. I've seen more cancer patients healed in our ministry, not just by my hand, but by all hands. I've seen more cancer patients healed in three years than my previous 35 years put together. It's ridiculous. It's off the charts. I believe that same anointing is meant for this place because this is a breaker ministry. It breaks into young people's lives and young people's hearts and it reaches places that churches will never, ever, ever reach. And so I'm going to release that to you. And there's some particular ones. You're one of them who has an amazing healing gift on, on, on your life, sir, because of the compassion that you have. Yeah, you right there, yeah. You have a compassion on your life. You have a, a pastoral gift on your life. And, and I'm not saying God's going to ordain you and make you a pastor, but you have a passion for people. And if you have a passion for people, oh, by the way, you're a fixer by nature too, and then you're a rescuer. So you'll always leave the 99 to go fetch up the one, right? And so that rescuer thing on your life is going to drive you in this realm of the supernatural, in the realm of healing, in the realm of signs, wonders, and miracles, in the realms of missions. And um, um, your wife sees your spiritual gifts way better than you, so you should be quiet sometimes and just listen to your wife because she knows better than you. And that's not a reproof, it's just a truth. So I can be a truth teller and a grace giver at the same time, right? So um, I really feel like... Um, um, you know, Pastor Vivian coined a phrase several years ago, and I love that phrase. It's called a power couple, where, where two can drive out 10,000. And I, I feel like you're that, that kind of people. And, and, um, and together, you'll do far more than you'll do individually. And so make room one for another. And there will be certain ones in this ministry who will be breakers 
to press through this. I mean, there are some of, some of those who are great teachers. And we, we must have great teachers. We must have preachers. We must have the fivefold. But you know what? In teaching, the thing that makes teaching great, according to the Bible, is when the Pharisees came to Jesus, they said, we know you are a great teacher because of the signs, wonders, and miracles that you do. And so there will be different ones who champion this cause, and there will be many who follow. So, Lord, we release today the very thing that you have, have, have placed as a mandate on our ministry, we release that to this ministry. And, Lord, I thank you that you're not a discriminator of age <laughs> because you still use old guys like me. <laughs> and, and, Lord, I just ask that for every age group, junior high, senior high, college kids, God, young adults, old folks like me, God, that you would use every single one with the passion to bring forth the raw power of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for the transition that this ministry is in. And I just ask God, oh, that's really cool. Hang on to this a minute, will you? Yeah, yeah. I just want to sow into that word of generosity because until you understand the kingdom and its generosity, you'll never understand the love of God. If your money is something that stays in your pocket, not flies out of your pocket, then you don't understand the kingdom. You don't understand it because your money you think is your money. And it's not your money, it's the kingdom. And generosity, if you can find it in the financial realm, you'll always find it in the spirit. Because God is the most amazing, generous God that you'll ever meet in your life. I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people healed, saved, delivered, set free. And then I've seen God do the most extraordinary things because he's a generous God. And we always think, oh, well, I want to be like him. Well, do you know that the disciples were wealthy men? We always think of them as poor paupers. But, you know, when they went on their first missionary journey, Jesus had to specifically tell them, leave your money at home. Why would you tell poor people to leave their money at home? They were, they, they were men who, who had some things. They had businesses. They had finances. And they were generous. And that's why God chose them to be the 12 to launch the kingdom. And the spirit of generosity that you preached about, I love that message. It's not only generous with your money, but it's generous with your time. It's generous with your obedience. It's generous with everything that you are about. Because that's how generous God has been with you. And however generous God has been with you, then you need to be that generous with other people. That's why I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and God says, go to Paul's. You know, I didn't really want to drive back over to the state fair, but I mean, as long as I'm here, I'm going to go get some cheese curds on my way home. <laughs> 
So, but, you know, once, once he establishes a witness on your life, your life is no longer your own. And you're generous with your obedience. You're generous with everything that God gives you. And when you have a revelation of the love of God, you can't walk by a sick person anymore. You can't do it. Break your heart. Break your heart. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then you all can go to the fair. <laughs> You're so close. Um, we had a lady come to our ministry, and she had, again, had breast cancer and had been um, set free from that thing, but lived a very, very hard life and had never known the love of God. And she came to our ministry one night, and, you know, somebody says, oh, she needs to get saved. And I'm like, well, if she gets healed, she'll get saved. I mean, I think we have it backwards, but, you know, you get her healed. I mean, there's no reaction but to get saved, right? So we prayed for her. And um, after she had had breast cancer, it came back in her esophagus, her stomach, her lower intestines, her liver. That was on a Thursday night. On Friday, they were bringing her in to be tested to see if it had gone to her brain. She was desperate, desperate. Her aunt was like flipping out. So we prayed for her, and while we prayed for her, I'm going to give you a key. And this key is about pulling the future into the present. So when you're praying for somebody, and you're praying, and you don't really see anything moving, they're not getting better, pain's not leaving, you got no tingly burst of energy, good feeling in your belly. I mean, nothing's really happening. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're praying, and it's like you, you feel the same way when in the middle of the prayer as you do at the beginning of the prayer. Here's the key. Prophesy their destiny. Prophesy their destiny. Because in their destiny, there's no sickness. So we start to prophesy to this woman her destiny and the gift of evangelism that's on her life. And when you're prophesying their destiny, what you're doing is you're pulling their future, which has no sickness, into their present, which is right now. And when their future meets their present, all the cancer goes away. I'm telling you, I mean, I've seen this work over and over and over again. For people, I mean, we prayed for people in hospice units. Prayed for a 15-year-old boy in a hospice unit who was days away from dying. He went home. In April in the Ukraine, we prayed for 14 children in the TB orphanage. They all had tuberculosis. We were back there in July. There were only two left, and they were slated to go home. And what we did was we prophesied over them to pull their future into their destiny. Now, many people think the prophetic is just a pie-in-the-sky thing. Go explain that to those sick people who are on their deathbeds going home to meet Jesus without ever fulfilling the destiny that God had given them. So as we pray for people, when you don't see movement, you begin to prophesy their destiny. <gasps> what if you're wrong and you give them the wrong destiny? It's still pulling their future into their present. Because to be frank with you, many of us all have the same destiny. 
So it's not that hard to prophesy destiny because we're all designed to be like Jesus. So whether that's healing the sick, signs, wonders, miracles, no matter what that happens to be, you begin to prophesy how the Holy Ghost is leading you, and you're pulling that future into the now. And when the future meets the present, cancer leaves. Isn't that amazing? And you know what? Every time you go to prophesy destiny over a dying person, you will feel the fool inside of you screaming. Why am I telling them about a future? I'm giving them a false hope. You're giving them real hope. I would rather have real hope for three days and die than die without it. We prayed for a man who was being fed through his ribs by a feeding tube. I told nobody in our ministry that he was being fed by a feeding tube. He'd go down every other day to the University of Minnesota to get fed. So get this. We're praying for this man. Nothing's happening. He's gray. He walks three feet. His clothes catch up to him. I mean, that's how thin he was. And somebody's praying for him, and they're like, oh. I see you eating a pizza with your, your son and your daughter. And he likes, uh, he's like, I love pizza. And how would you know I had a son and a daughter? And then somebody else prophesies and said, oh, I have a vision. You're having ice cream with your, your, your granddaughter and your grandson. And, and he starts crying, and he's like, how would you know I had a granddaughter and a grandson? And he was so bad, this was on a Thursday, he was so bad I called him on Friday to see if he'd made it through the night. And he's like, I called him and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm at, per I'm at Perkins. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean you're at Perkins? Well, I'm, I'm having breakfast. And I'm like, what do you mean you're having breakfast? Like, what kind of breakfast? You know, I thought maybe pancakes, you know, because his esophagus was so, so shot he couldn't eat. And, and, and he's like, oh, I had sausage and eggs and biscuits. And he said it was awesome. And, and then someone else had a word about over him about cherry pie. So he said, I had a piece of cherry pie to make that prophetic word come to pass. <laughs> Three weeks later, he called me and he said, they've just removed my feeding tube at the University of Minnesota. My esophagus and my digestive system have been completely restored. This is not unique to our ministry. This is, this is ours for the taking. And we're living in a season of time right now where the kingdom is at hand. And I've done this a long time. And I know the Bible says the kingdom's always at hand. But it's really at hand. What does that mean? It's as close as me and Paul are together. That's how close the kingdom is. And so, Father, we release that now in Jesus' name. For everyone here, for every person, for every individual to believe you for the goodness, the goodness, the very thing Paul preached about this morning, not only the goodness of Barnabas, but the goodness of God. When Moses wanted to see you, the only element he could see was the goodness. And goodness is healing. Goodness is deliverance. Goodness is freedom. It's the children's bread. 
And so, God, I, I pray that you would release in this place a passion and a zeal. Oh, that's crazy. There have been many who have walked with you in seasons past who have either been offended in their heart or hurt by something that God will restore back to you in this next season of time. And in this transition, as difficult as some may see it to be, it will be an awakening hour. An awakening hour. There will be many who come alongside, many you partner with, but for you all, it's an awakening hour. Do not miss the days of your visitation. Because there will be many times in the presence of God where there will be a visitation by the Holy Spirit. Do not miss those times where he's speaking things to you that are way, way, way too good to be true. Take them and run. Take them and run with them. And I believe, Paul, that God is going to give you a uh, a, 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 a new authority. It's not that you don't have a new authority, but I see God giving you a way bigger staff. And every time I see a, new, a bigger staff, it's, a, it's about influence. It's about things that said no to you in the last season, saying yes to you in this season. Huh, hang on a minute. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Oh. So anyway, the Lord is, is going to light your oldest son up like he's never been lit up before. And um, he's going to have a passion and a zeal, not only for the business world, but for the lost, for missions, for signs, wonders, and miracles. And he's a thinker, that boy. Yeah, tell him good luck with that. Because he's a thinker. God's going to take him so far outside what he could ask or believe. So Lord, we release that for him in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that the kingdom is so much bigger than us. And we can only walk in the kingdom with you. Or it doesn't work. In Jesus' name, amen. morning I woke up and I said to Paul I had a dream last night and the dream was when the Holy Spirit has come and I believe the Holy Spirit has come here this morning we know the Holy Spirit is with us all the time but then there are special times when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and when he comes upon us as your prayer was don't hold your arm out and she doesn't do, she and, never uh, done what she did this morning and I I, uh, I wrote it down and I text it, and I, I, I don't know how the Lord's going to fulfill this. But when I was sitting there, I realized he's fulfilling it right now because when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he will give you wisdom. That was one thing you asked for this morning. We all need his wisdom, and he gives it to us when we ask. And, and it, he will give you discernment, and we need discernment when we're walking and, and you know praying for people. And the other word was healing, yeah. and that he's going to give us that uh, that power to heal, well, it's his power, but the wisdom, the sermon, and just the encouragement, as we heard today, yes. to do that and, and pray for people. Wonderful, so. wonderful. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
um, what's your name? What's your name? This girl right here in the blue. What's your name? Lisa. You know, um, hmm, this is crazy. I don't know where your husband went, but you, you, oh, is he over there? You're not there? Oh, you are here. Yeah, um, you know what, you're, you're, you will, over the course of your days, you will anchor literally thousands and thousands of people that otherwise would be adrift at sea. And sometimes you and your wife will think, well, why, why do we only get like the broken, the messed up ones? Well, the reason you get the messed up ones is because you carry the presence. And if the anointing of God, the presence of God, and the glory of God was not on your lives, you wouldn't attract the broken. When David left Israel, the only thing David could attract was the rejects of Israel. But he raised them up into the finest fighting force that Israel had ever known. And that's the mandate that's on your life, to raise up the broken and make them champions. And, and I really feel like, um, for both of you, there is a... Um, I, don't, I, I hate to use the word discipling because it has weird connotations in our head. But there's a new way of mentoring that God is going to use in you to develop um, new champions. And it's going to be through two things. It's going to be through love. And it's, well, it's actually three things if you want the biblical mandate. It's love, power, and critical thinking. Not critical that we're critical, it's critical that we're rational. That we come to the correct conclusions based on what we've read, seen, and heard. And, and, and I really believe that, that the two of you, um, oh, you should make sure your passports are current too, because um, I know you have a little one there, but God's going to use you in missions to, to go someplace to see the brokenhearted and then come back here and be a voice, be an advocate for a people group that otherwise would not have a voice, would not have help, would not have food, would not have other things. And I never thought God would do that to me, but he's, he's done it to me multiple times. And it's the way you know it's God is it's so seriously inconvenient. I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, it's like he only calls you when you can't go. And that's the way you know it's him is that you can't go. And so it must be him, right? And, and so I also believe that for, for your family, there is a, a financial breakthrough on the horizon as well, where um, you've sowed, you've been faithful, you've plowed, you've done all those things, but the overflow is on its way. And, and you're going to see, I don't know if it's a new job or a new opportunity or just the generosity of people who, who will, it, it will overwhelm you. Because you'll see in that financial blessing the goodness of God. And your heart is, is such that, yeah, you'll get overwhelmed with that goodness. And then, I mean, the way you are, you'll just give it away anyway. But um, you'll see it. You'll see that, that breakthrough with the Lord. Amen. I better be quiet. Amen. Amen. I'm so anointed here, you know, even You're welcome. If you wanted to stick around, I'm sure Craig will stick around. And uh, uh, we won't do the small groups now. It's only 10:30, however. We got we got time. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a benediction. I'm gonna leave this in my hand.
because I feel that there's something uh, coming forth regarding the physical, material blessings as well, because you have a heart to give it away. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor. That's a big word. And give you his peace in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.